How many guesses do I get? That's about right. Yeah. Nine. Okay, so not Sandoval. No. Alvarez. No. Santiago. No. <laughs> Giuseppe. No. Who's that? You're thinking too yeah, you're Mexican. Like, I know. Because I am half Mexican, half white. Oh, white no, what, skin. No, can, no, can you give me a little side. more? No. Okay, okay, white, okay. White is very Okay, broad. I am named after an island. My last name anyways. Oh, um, Trinidad. No. <laughs> Rico. No. Liza Rico. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Liza Rico. <laughs> Letha Rico, that's hard to say. That would be that Letha is a really Rico good name, is Bradby a rat. I suggest you change it. Um, okay, hold on. That's islands. Catalina, Letha Catalina. Closer to the white part, but no. Catalina. Um, Letha Greenland. No, I think it's um, an island. Um, 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 Hawaii, New Yorkish. Say it Long with an Island, accent. Staten Island. Yes. Staten. Staten. Letha Staten. 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 But they would always say Staten. You know those people that call to try to sell you things? Oh, it's, oh. wait, it's, how, do, how is it correct? Staten. Staten. Oh, Staten. it's Staten. And then for Staten. my other name, Coughlin, they would say, hi, Letha Colin. I was like, no, oh. that's not my last name. Colin? Coughlin translates to colon in foreign countries. Oh. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, what? Uh, Lisa Colin, please. It's Coughlin. It's Lynn. That's right. It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because This Might Get Uncomfortable starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Letha, you received a, a bottle of kombucha on the way in prior to the recording of this podcast. And, uh, Revive kombucha in particular. Shout out. Revive. I've been supporting mad proper skills. Uh, two things I want to bring up. Number one, the uh, color palette of the Revive is very much in alignment with your extremely colorful personality and your wonderful color palette. That's true. I would like you to read, if you would, okay. the uh, inscription on the bottle cap, the, oh, bo- the, okay. the, the inside of the bottle. And that's becoming like a thing now with tea bags. But I'm just I'm curious, what does the inside of your bottle cap say? It's amazing. Are you ready for it? Yeah, yeah. Be grateful. Can I see? Yes, sir. Be grateful. Why'd you ask to see it? You didn't believe her? <laughs> she's, like, she's making this up. What? Why? Why does that matter? What is? How do you? How do you wow. feel when you when you twisted that off? Because you, you did get it. really excited. You when got you super excited. Well, first of all, I didn't twist it off. You were a gentleman, and you took it off for me. And I did do that. Yeah, you, you did. Right. Okay. Yeah. And That's good. Mom taught me well. <laughs> Shout sure out to did. Susan Robel. <laughs> Chivalry's not dead, Mom. But when I read it, it was this really uh, just, oh, man, it just struck such joy in me. I just genuinely got happy. And it's just a simple reminder on the back of a cap to be grateful for every moment opening up a kombucha. Be grateful for it. Wait, what did yours say, Jason? Did you oh, save your cap? I did, but I didn't. You didn't look at it. It says, we go together. Well, that's what? kind of that's good for today. Who's we and where are we going? <laughs> Yours is very much uh, kind of irrefutable and direct. Be grateful. We go together. Where Maybe they are we mean going? you, Jason, go together with the kombucha. That's right. 
Like you and kombucha go together. Like you're a match. Mm. I read into it much more cryptically. It's too like, bad we don't know anybody I from Revive like this, Kombucha that no, we could we're ask this ask question. Because I feel like this is almost <laughs> like like hitting on me. Like we go together. It's like I almost feel like the kombucha is hitting on me in a really creepy, subversive way. I'm going to bring this up when I see them. Yep. Because that's very obvious. Now, okay, gratitude, right? We hear about this is something that I feel like, well, first of all, where did you eat before this podcast? <laughs> gratitude Cafe. Wait, is that what it's called? I believe Cafe so. Gratitude. Cafe Gratitude. I said it backwards. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a theme of the day. If you ate at Cafe Gratitude. Yeah. You get a bottle cap that says "Be Grateful." Oh my gosh. Sometimes, though, right? Like if we're if we're being honest, life brings us. Okay. First of all, can we just pause for? Why do people say if we're being honest? I've been thinking a lot about. If I'm this lying lately. to you, can we ladies, just take a little a little detour? <laughs> why do people have to f- say if I'm being like? In other words, does that mean that you're not normally being That's honest? That's right. <laughs> Overcompensation. Honestly, like if I'm being honest, like. Okay, like when are you not honest? Okay, that's right. It's one of those. Okay, what what made you say that in particular? I feel like I didn't even realize I said it, and it's almost one of those subconscious colloquial phrases that we use in our language that oftentimes it's so embedded in our consciousness we're not even aware we're using it. Correct. So it is one of those things where I don't perceive myself as a dishonest person, like, hey, spoiler alert, I'm going to be honest in this moment, guys, Mm -hmm. just so you're ready. It's almost one of those things I'm not even aware I used it until you pointed it out, which I'm like, oh, that's a use, kind of a useless phrase. If I'm being honest about it, ladies, let me tell you. <laughs> it reminds me, there's somebody that I know as an acquaintance who says that, who overuses that phrase. Oh, like, like too much. Over, in one conversation, so she'll, <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. And one of the last times I saw this person, like we talked for maybe 10 minutes and I lost track of how many times this person said, if I'm being honest, it was it was as if it was a qualifier for everything just to show that this person was being really, I don't know, I was fascinated by it. It was real. And I bet you that that this person is completely, no. Um, (laughs) You know, if I'm being really honest. If I'm being more honest than I was three minutes ago. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, do you remember what you were going to say? Honestly? (laughs) (laughs) I did, but I now I feel like I need to inject a detour, a minor detour, because if I... That's what this podcast is all about, all over the place. Okay. In terms of not being present to the, the language we're using, which I think... It's so important, the energetics of language and saying what we really mean and being conscious to what what we're putting out there language-wise, right? So often, I think there are terms that we use that are euphemisms to not really say exactly what we want to say, right? And sometimes maybe we're trying to spare a person the harshness of what we want to say. Like the other day, I was I was laughing to myself. I was deliriously tired. You know, those, when, when you're so exhausted, you've been working so hard that you're just delirious and you um you get slap happy like Ooh, <laughs> you just yeah. your mind goes crazy and i i remembered like um this phrase that people use which is um when people start off a sentence and they go well you know with all due respect <laughs> oh, yeah. and you know that what's on the other end of that is like i'm actually going to like take the piss out of you a little bit or criticize like well Lisa with all due respect my dear I must tell you (laughs) it's like this thing of like with all due respect that's me aka softening the blow 
of something critical I'm about to tell you. There's another right? phrase that's With similar. With all due respect, I must inform you uh, that... Uh, or, you know what it is? is it like grew, grew up when people would say... No offense, but yeah, no, yeah, exactly. No offense, but it's the same thing. Was, With all due respect, my lady. But it was always offensive, whatever. Exactly, came but that's people no trying offense. to soften the blow. Like, right. let me take the edge off what I'm about to tell you. It's like just so say the bizarre. thing. Okay. Coming back to the cap. I, coming back to the cap. <laughs> Which also, can I po- take one more minor detour? Is that I, I'm really glad that you brought this up because a lot of times when I see things like this, this is my reaction. I take it off the bottle and I'm like, oh, okay. And I don't even like think that much about it. But the fact that you, Letha, reacted with so much gratitude for seeing the phrase be grateful was so refreshing because I was like, oh, maybe I should, you know, take in those words a little bit more. They're there for a reason. You know who else does that is Yogi T. Yeah, right. They have the the tea bags mm-hmm. and they usually say something at the end. Snapple. Yeah, Snapple. not that we drink yes. that all the time, but <laughs> but back in the day. Back in and the day. how about fortune cookies? That's right. But you know what? Fortune cookies kind of make me upset. <laughs> the last time, what the second to last time that I had a fortune cookie, I was with my boyfriend. We each got the same exact fortune, and it was so lame. <laughs> oh, and it was like really the odds were in just, your favor. That was never it, happened. No, was but that, what if it was something obvious, like you will go to bed with someone you love tonight? It's like, duh, I'm sitting right across from <laughs> yeah. genius. I just think there's sometimes fortune cookies are really well thought out, and some are just half-assing it. It's like someone's like, let's just come up with five phrases and put them in all the fortune cookies, it's kind of- and it ruins a bit of the magic, in my opinion. But yeah. did you learn Chinese? No. Did you buy a lotto ticket? Oh, is that what the numbers are for? <laughs> are the numbers is that on a really fortune? what that's for? That's really what that's for, you guys. Come Have on. you ever done that? No. <laughs> oh, I this whole oh. I had no idea that was for lottery tickets. What if tickets. what if the uptake on that is so low? That the actual people who have won the lotto, it's like an insider secret that no one talks about because oh, because wow. it's like a point zero 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 one percent of people who actually play those numbers. But if you uh, actually do, it's like a hidden secret of the universe that oh it actually will. What if that's a thing? This is divergent as it hell. Is. Okay, my, so back to the cap. <laughs> be grateful, Letha. Yes, you had such a profound and joyful and jubilant reaction when that, but when you opened that bottle. When I opened it for you, rather, it's chivalrously. <laughs> Sometimes it is really challenging in life to feel gratitude when we are being bombarded by chaos, uncertainty, disappointment, perhaps having expectations. You know, I'm curious in terms of holding the space of joyfulness and gratitude in those tough moments. What's that like for you? I mean, you you have so many things that you're doing in life. You know, with your your wonderful training business and your coaching and raising two beautiful girls and like you have a lot of life that you live right you're you're just you're a person who's full of life but sometimes life is hard and in those moments how do you how do you maintain your joyfulness and your perspective and your gratitude in the tough times Ooh, well it's not always the same there's not always joy immediately Mm -hmm. but most of the time i've like reframed my mindset okay i'm going through something really painful right now first thing i do is do not run away from the pain you go headfirst into the pain and you experience it for what it is because in the end, pain only lasts coming from a trainer. It only lasts, what, a minute you're doing a plank and it feels like forever or you scraped your knee, but it's only going to hurt for what, maybe 15 minutes. Pain is not forever. I mean, there's some internal pains and traumas that can last, but even our body finds a way to suppress that. So 
if I remind myself, this isn't forever, everything's going to be okay, I managed to get through it pretty decently, Mm -hmm. but you always have to face it. That's the key. Actually, I want to talk to you specifically. So as a fitness trainer, I love that you brought up that perspective that pain is not forever. Well, I guess it's more of a reality than a perspective, right? And that's something I struggle a lot with when I'm working out is I really haven't learned how to sit in the pain of a of an exercise without like getting out of it. Like for example, I do a lot of yoga. I also do like Pilates and bar classes. And man, I've been doing this for years, but it feels like I'm always hit a point of pain and then I find myself coming out of it before we're instructed to come out of it. And there's part of me that's like really annoyed by that tendency of mine. And I've been wondering, how can I mentally get myself to sit through the pain until I'm told not to by the fitness trainer that I'm working with? Well, give yourself more credit because you probably started out only doing 20 seconds. Then you started going into 30 seconds, 45 seconds and longer and longer. So there's this natural progression of strength that comes along with it. So maybe where you were back then isn't what you were later on. You know what I'm saying? So you're probably doing amazing. You're just (laughs) being hard on yourself. Uh, As we often do. Yeah. That's another good conversation is that I love that you said that too. Actually, right before we started recording, you, you had asked us how the podcast was doing. And I had to really step back for a second because we don't have that much to compare our podcast to because it's so new. And so to your point, I think a lot of us don't give ourselves enough credit, whether we're working out or we're producing something, we're making something, we're, we're parenting, whatever it is. We have a tendency as human beings, I'm generally speaking, but it sounds like you, Letha, have such a great perspective on giving yourself more credit. And that's a huge human being struggle, especially now from my perspective, we have social media that's made it so much easier to fall into the comparison trap. Or coming back to the specific case that we just mentioned, for me, when I go into my yoga classes or whatever I'm in, and I'm surrounded by a bunch of people in the room, and nobody else is getting out of the posture as soon as I am. And so I'm looking at myself in comparison to them, right? So maybe Mm -hmm. that's instead of noticing my own personal progress, I'm fixated on my progress compared to their progress or my performance based on theirs. So do you have anything further to speak on when Um, it comes to that comparison, whether it's fitness or parenting or whatever else? Well, back to the fitness, but I have all kinds of things to say about parenting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We want to hear it. For the fitness, I, you know, we have to take into consideration when we, because for some reason, we just naturally compare ourselves. I want to be as good as that person if they have something that is of value to you. Mm -hmm. So, and that's kind of, you know, that's okay in a sense. You want to work up to a certain goal and you value what that person's doing, right? You have a teacher up there, Mm -hmm. you know, for a reason. Um, I just lost my train of thought. (laughs) It (laughs) It happened in five seconds. It happened. I just had a a brain fart. That's literally (laughs) what I started Literally what I just had. I started thinking about my kids not kidding you about one of their... (laughs) Tell their us. toys all over their room. And I started thinking, oh my gosh, I have so much to do when I get home. As I was speaking to you, because we brought up parenting. Amazing. You brought up parenting and it 
triggered my mind. It's such a real human moment. <laughs> it like, is. You just, you just had a pure, real human moment. What yep. was it that reminded you of the toys? <laughs> I was thinking of a floor doing oh. your workout, and I was thinking I have to push things to the side to do my workouts around my children. <laughs> oh. And I don't know. It was such a weird train of thought. It ha- but see, that is that's what happens to us. I mean, <laughs> this is one of the reasons we're such big proponents. 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 Yes. For meditation, because we literally, speaking of training, we literally need to train ourselves to stay on track with things because it's a human tendency to start thinking of all of these different things and then get off track. I think that's one of the, it's almost like it's a natural thing that we have to constantly work against, or perhaps we've been trained to have our minds multitasking all the time. That's right. As a mother of twins a single mom of twins owning all the businesses I have, my mind is so scattered. And sometimes I really wish I could just focus in on one thing and get really, really good at it. And I'm really good at multiple things. But you know what I'm saying, right? Once you focus in on that one, one thing, you're like, wow, I just became a master at it. Mm -hmm. But at this time, I can't afford to do that. So I have to have my hand in every cookie jar and I'm not getting fat. (laughs) I want to keep, you know, I want to bring in finances more and more and more, Mm -hmm. but it's okay. Progress, 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 right? That's the number one rule I live by is grace. Okay, Letha, you can't do everything really perfect right now, Mm -hmm. but maybe later on you can drop something and become really good at that one thing. Like I really want to get into belly dancing. (gasps) I think that's going to be so much fun. Interesting. I mean, I have a dance (laughs) fitness class. Why did you react that way? Interesting. Like I want to be a performer. No, it's interesting because that's not a common thing I hear people wanting to get into, A. Uh, no, it, it, no. listen, I mean, honestly, it's in kind of the pantheon of things that people are into fitness-wise. Belly dance is not something you hear come up very often. So that's why I was like, ooh, interesting. Tell me more. And secondarily, um, one of my good friends is one of the top belly dance performers and instructors <gasps> in the country. Wow. So I'd be ooh. happy to connect to you. Her yes. name is Lana Minnie. She lives in Detroit, oh. one of my old, old friends from Detroit. And... uh she performs. She travels all, literally all over the world performing. Cool. Um, so when you said that, it was all, first of all, the uniqueness of someone claiming that and secondarily being like, oh, I need to introduce you to Lana because she would be a phenomenal mentor for yes, you. Yes, you do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Consider it done. No, that, I mean, I feel like that's, so I teach a dance fitness class called Hypnotic Dance Fitness. Mm. And I can't choose my, my love for electronic dance music and belly dancing i just can't choose so i put both in the class so we're like raving it up and then we're also belly dancing at the same time and it is like such a hit i i mean i max out my classroom i can't fit any more people in there that is so you how did that so weird how did that come to you because that sounds like such an incredibly unique mashup in uh, how did was that a bolt of inspiration it was a bolt of inspiration of two loves and I had to combine them because I just couldn't choose and I said well why do I have to choose I'll just put them together and everyone just responded so well to it I couldn't believe it well that sounds like such a success though it's interesting because just a moment ago you were saying how you didn't feel you felt like scattered and you couldn't perfect one thing (laughs) and you wanted to be more successful but then you bring this up and just to like reflect back what you just said, your right. classes are maxed Girl, out. That you sounds, called it out. <laughs> that sounds like such a great success. I mean, to take it from a student. I've never been a, a fitness teacher that I can recall. I've taught dance before, <laughs> but never fitness. And it is amazing to me when classes get maxed out and then the ones that don't, you know, like at my yoga studio, there are some teachers that are so popular. There's a waiting list every class. 
And it's a huge, I really think it's an amazing thing when that happens because a lot of the other classes don't fill up, you know, there'll Mm -hmm. be like a third or a fourth of the people in there. So when you can fill up a class, that's a big deal. Oh man, I feel great. I feed off their energy. I'm like, (laughs) I have a crush on all you ladies. Come on now. (laughs) They're amazing. I love that. So you obviously give a lot of love and energy and focus to your fitness business, to your twins, to life in general. You have an amazing dog who has a really incredible story too. Yeah, her dog has an incredible story that she shared with me. Perhaps we can jump into that in a second because I want to get to my question. I want to get to my my question. Um, Jason likes to do these interview styles, and I feel like no, no, no. This is this is this is generally like if we were hanging out, I'd be asking her the same question. I know, but then I feel excluded. It's supposed to be a three-person conversation. Okay, well then, I'm going to tell you that story. No, we can we can we can wrap you into this. It's because I do want I do want you to share. You know, it's like when you're having a conversation and you're like the third wheel and there's two people like talking away and you're like, hey, okay, well, hi, well, this, here. I will ask, I will ask everyone <laughs> at the table this question. Um, it's really about self-care, right? When we have taken on for any of us, a lot of responsibility of the three of us have on this Whitney, Letha and, and myself, we've taken on different responsibilities in life, but it can be, I feel such a common thing to give, 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 and then feel absolutely depleted. That's something I'm still working on is not letting my battery run down to zero and then being like, man, it's going to take a long time for that battery to recharge. So, you know, I, this is an open question for Whitney and, and you, Letha, is like... And for yourself. Yeah. How do we more dexterously manage giving our gift and our passions and our love to the people that matter in our lives from students to coworkers to children to whoever we're giving love to and still take really good care of ourselves in the process. Like, how do y'all do that? Have you heard of the love tank theory? The love tank? The love tank theory. So you have this love tank and it can be full or it can be halfway full or empty. And people pour into your love tank or you could pour into your own love tank but you're limited in resources of this love juice <laughs> and you pour out from your tank into other people as well. So it's kind of like recycling mm-hmm. love. And what happens is if you're pouring your love into everyone else, you eventually run out and your tank is empty and you have this, I don't want to say depression, but the sadness about you because we're happy when we have love, right? We feel joy when we're love around love. So in order to, Get that love poured back into your love tank. You'll probably get it from a loved one, from your kids, maybe getting a gift. Kind of depends on also your love language, if you've heard of the love languages. Yep. Big fans of that. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of depending on how you receive your gifts or whatever, the way people love you, those types of gifts, that really just depends on how much love you are able to give out. So... You refill him, he refills you, but he gets it from his dogs. You get it from your boyfriend. I get it from going to get a massage if that ever happens in my life. <laughs> but hopefully it Note does. Note to self, Letha. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's how you fill it up and give it out. Mm. Mm. Love tank. <laughs> it sounds like the name of a TV show, doesn't it? You no, know, it sounds like something. Yeah, like a cool band name or... Ooh. I don't know, love, love, because you think love about love, love tank. <clears throat> I don't know. There's something about that phrase. It's juicy. I like it. <laughs> well, how would you answer that question? That you... It's for me, it's overcoming this persistent idea, which shout out back to the ayahuasca episode. Which the, still hasn't probably come out yet. The re- shout out forward, backward, <laughs> it's 
space-time continuum. Yeah. When that ayahuasca episode, which is a two-part, so it's actually two episodes, Correct. comes out, you can find it at wellevator.com in the show notes. So W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, or you can just search the podcast player you're using for the ayahuasca episodes. Yeah, it's one of the realizations that is definitely related to self-love and self-care is that if I somehow am the the best at something and outwork everyone or give the most love or am the most generous, then I'll never be abandoned because people will I'll be too valuable for people. So it's it's the realization of this subtle manipulative mm. behavior, this subconscious subtle manipulative behavior that was so often in my life disguised as altruism. But there was a component of the altruism of I'm actually trying to get something from you. I'm not conscious of it. But if I'm making everyone laugh, if I'm giving a ton of love, if I'm the most generous energetically, I become so valuable, so irreplaceable perception-wise in someone's life that I'll never be abandoned, right? So it's, it's, again, for me, reminding myself that I don't have to get anything from anyone and I don't have to play this subconscious subtle manipulation game of being the best at someone to try and prove my worthiness, right? And so, and that kind of comes back to where we were a few minutes or however long ago that was mm -hmm. about the comparison trap. And I think for part of what you're saying, Jason, it's like a survival thing. Completely. Right? It's make, and we talked about this in an episode. Don't know if it's come out or not for, uh, for, compared to this episode, but it's about the five addictions. And we were talking a lot about survival in that episode. So we'll link to that as well in the show notes at wellevator.com. And it's interesting because for you, this idea of I need to be valuable, I think that I actually struggle with that a lot too. I mean, I've that's been coming up a lot for me at the beginning of 2020 is this idea of, well, how do I fit in given that here's specifically what I've been struggling with. Like, And this is interesting to go off of what Jason's saying and maybe what you're feeling. A lot of us kind of feel similar things. The blessing of where we're at right now as a society is being connected to each other through the internet. And so we can just learn so much about human beings, but we can also simultaneously compare them ourselves to them, right? We can find that confirmation bias that we're better than somebody and we can find the confirmation bias that we're worse than somebody, right? And so I have a tendency to, and maybe mostly unconsciously or unaware, look for people that are better than me at something. And then I, I feel worse. And then I, I'm like, I'm not good enough. And why should I even bother trying I think that's part of my overall resistance. And I've been reflecting a lot on that lately. And one thing that I've been struggling with emotionally is this idea of, do I have value and what is my value? And I think we all have inherent value. I think that's something that I know on some level, but there's also this part of me that consciously might just feel like I don't have enough value, right? And I'll get like little things that I'll interpret as that. So, you know, for you, Letha, when you were talking about wanting to be more successful, in my head, I'm like, oh, maybe she doesn't have a lot of people coming to her class. And that's what she's trying to say. But then you told me you have a lot of people coming to class. I'm like, oh, so I wonder, like, what does she mean by that? Right. And so I think that on our own, sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves mm -hmm. because we interpret what's going on in our lives as not good enough or not valuable enough. And so to come back around to the survival element of it, I think there's just this natural human desire to want to be valuable because if you're not valuable, then why should anybody continue to feed you or take care of you or give you shelter? 
there's limited resources. So if you are not valuable, like why do you deserve to have the resources, right? If we went back to like a tribal mentality, you have to chip in, you have to do your side of the work. That's just kind of like a human, a basic human concept that we all have to give value. And it's so tricky right now because some people are very aware of how they give value. Some people are very self-centered and they somehow pretend that they're giving value, but really it's more about themselves. Like we're just kind of in this weird place socially where value is almost becoming this gray area. Like what does it even mean to give value to people and how do people decide if they're going to train with you versus another trainer? And so it becomes this competitive thing. Well, I have to show that I'm I'm good enough for you to come to my class or Jason has to show that you're good enough to fill in the blank. I have to say like, I'm good enough to fill in the blank. Like, is this podcast good enough to listen to, to subscribe to, to share with your friends? And so it's created for me. And I think Jason's expressed this as well, this desire to constantly prove yourself, right? Or constantly show your value. Yes, I'm worth it. I'm worth it. I'm worth your attention. I'm worth your money, right? And so it's really exhausting. And I feel like it's so emotionally draining. So I can relate a lot to what Jason's saying, but I, I feel like I, it's like I hear him saying it and I hear Aletha talk about things and I'm like, oh, but you guys are great and you're so valuable. But we then think that about you. Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> Completely. Right. Yeah. And it's almost like the perception we have of ourselves can be so radically different from how other people perceive us and, and, I find myself in this situation over different periods of my life where, you know, I've struggled a lot with mental illness and depression and suicidal ideation. We, we have talked about that on the podcast. And when people that I love, like give a pep talk, right? You know, you get a pep talk from someone, whether it's uh, asked for or not. <laughs> and so often I remember in periods of feeling really low about myself that whether it was Whitney or my mom or my mentor, Michael, or, or the real close people who really know me, you know, sharing their perspectives of how much they love me or how much of a gift I am to the world or whatever beautiful, authentic ways that they framed it. If I'm not feeling that way about myself, it doesn't land. It's almost as if there's this energetic barrier that I've put up in my psyche or my being that can't receive that as truth. It's almost like there are moments where I will hear the words, but the words don't penetrate with love the way that they could, because I'm like, there's no way you could, like, how could you perceive me that way? Because I'm so mired in my position and my story about myself that it's almost unbelievable that other people could perceive me otherwise. It's almost as if my ego is so anchored in, but my reality about myself is the ultimate reality. And how could you perceive me? It's a very masochistic part of the ego Mm -hmm. for myself, a very masochistic part of my ego that I've noticed. Letha, that makes me wonder about your experience as a mother, because I am very fascinated by family lines. Did we talk about this in another episode, Jason? Mm -hmm. Was that the one with Paige? Paige, Okay. So we'll refer to that one definitely has come out already, and that'll be it. The show notes of wellevator.com. This episode, we talked with Paige about family history and was it epigenetics? Thank you. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I struggle with saying that word. I'm really interested in that. I'm interested in what we pass down from person to person. And and I'm also based on a lot of my personal experiences of wanting to heal my relationship with my mother, strengthen it and all that. And I reflect a lot about that. And as I've read about 
you know, whenever I think about my relationship with my mom, then I think about her relationship with her mom and all the things Mm -hmm. that got passed down to them. But then I wonder if I become a mother, what am I going to pass down to my children and and what what that relationship is going to be like? And I'm I'm unsure at this point in my life if I will have children, but I just think about it a lot like, okay, well, you know, not only how do I feel towards them, but how do they feel towards me? Right. And that back and forth relationship, it must bring up so many interesting emotions for you as a human being. Yeah. Well, first of all, as far as genetics go, I think nothing rings truer than speaking the word of life. So, I mean, not even really genetics. You speak the name into your child's life from the minute they're born. So first of all, let me give you some background. I had my children two months early. Um, that's kind of normal for twins, wow. but I mean, that was really? pretty early. Yeah. So they were um, only, you were only pregnant for seven, seven months. months. Yeah. Wow. And they were oh like God. three pounds and yeah. And it was super tragic <laughs> in Aren't my the, mind. The average, what's the average weight? Like six? To um, yeah. Like nine six, seven, eight, nine pounds. Wow. So were they considered pre- preemies? preemies? Yeah. They okay. were preemies and they had to stay in the hospital. And it was because twin A, Amelie. She was so stressed and she was going to die. So they had to do an emergency C-section. So Wait, she was stressed out in your body? In, yeah, in my body. And just... Do they know do, why? Um, because I was stressed out. <laughs> and um, I was trying to clear out a garage at seven months, pregnant with twins. Probably wasn't it. A wise choice. <laughs> Wait, meaning like that one incident you think is what caused oh, yeah. the stress, or do you think it was a buildup of stress? This um, is fascinating. Possibly could have been a buildup, but then that was the cherry on top. Let's just put it that way. So my water broke, and they injected me with hormones, and the babies wouldn't stay. So they they wanted to stay inside, but they wouldn't relax. So that was kind of a, a signal. Hey, get me out of here. So they. You know, did the emergency C-section, and then they were okay, but one of them had a hard time breathing, so they had to stay in the NICU, and man, I was like, this is just such a weird way to start out my life with my children. Like, I didn't get to hold them. Didn't get to hold my babies at all. I didn't get to touch them, and they rushed them off to, you know, take care of them, and... The best thing I could do at that time with my, at the time, husband was give my children a name that matters. So Amelie, which comes from the French film Amelie. <laughs> I am my favorite movie. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. I love it. So we had to name her after that movie. So Amelie Agape, God's hardworking love, and Annika Markella, God's gracious warrior. And, you know, I'd say there, I'd go up to them and talk to them through the little plastic tube thing and like touch them with like gloves and it was so weird and they had like IVs in their forehead and the veins in their forehead and it was just oh man it was just so and they looked like little aliens they didn't have any much body fat on them they looked so strange but you know they're my babies I loved them anyways <laughs> so anyways I would sit there and I'd say their names to them over and over again and then I would take out the book Horton Hears a Who and I would read to them over and over again your person's a person no matter how small and I would say things to them like, you are going to love this world unconditionally. You're going to be a warrior for the people around you. And I would just speak all these words into their life. And oh my gosh, what do you know? They're actually living up to it. you know. And when you speak these words of encouragement, and I say words of life, when you speak these words of life into their life, their bodies have no other option other than to react to that. you know. And I'm giving them positive energy. So now that positive energy is 
resonating well with their little cells and their body, and then they're becoming exactly what they were intended to be. That's my theory. <laughs> so beautiful. It's as if you realize the power and the vibration and energetics of the words that we use, to throw back to the very beginning of this episode, that you can speak things into existence, that That's through right. the power of your word and having your intention and your heart aligned with the words that you choose, you are co-creating reality. Right. And so you knew that. That's what you were I doing. Had no, as a mother, you want your children to be okay no matter what. And because I couldn't touch them flesh to flesh, all I had left was my words. Wow. So that's what I gave them. Wow. <laughs> that's powerful. That, I mean, it's, it's like. And how old are they wow. now? Nine. Oh my, my gosh. My nine-year-old twin girls. Oh, they are so precious. Kindest human beings I've ever met in my life. I'm, I'm about to cry just oh. because I'm just obsessed with them. Oh I have a crush God. on them too. <laughs> but like wow. if you ever speak to them, they bring so much joy to people. They have, one's a little shyer than the other, but they have no shame in how they love people. Like sometimes I want to give them boundaries, but if they see a homeless man and he looks like he might be cracked out, I don't know, he looks like he's all kinds of things. My daughter will go up to him and give him or her a dollar and- I'm just like, honey, you just worked really hard to make that money. And I have to step back. I'm like, but I'm proud of you for mm -hmm. doing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and she went and picked up dog poop for like, I want to say 30 minutes. That's a tough job for yeah. a little child, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where? In Where? my backyard. Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant like at a rant. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, I pay my children to do chores that are yeah. not their own chores. That way they understand the value of making money. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Wow. Okay. So you mentioned the dog um, because oh, I want to yeah. circle yeah, back to that the really dog quick. Story. So, so speaking of miraculous recoveries, yeah. it seems like that is the topic that we are riffing on right now. No kidding. You're obviously no stranger to that in this beautiful canine, this beautiful companion that you adopted. Could you please tell us about yeah. that recovery story? Well, I was sitting at a friend's house and- she gets this phone call. We have this seven-week-old puppy that's been slashed, and it needs a foster home. And I was just like, I'm renting this house for my parents, and my father is not okay with me having animals at all at the house. And I was like, there's no way this can happen. There's no way. And, you know, I called my dad. And I was like, Dad, I really need this in my life. I need to nurture something back to health. I feel like that's a missing link for me right now. And he was like, all right, but you're just borrowing it or you're just fostering it. You're not going to keep it. And I was like, okay, you know, and that was a miracle in itself that he said, yes, I'm so grateful for that moment. You know, so then I get him and he is like slashed all the way around the neck. There might be three inches left of no slash. And he was like, Wait, what do you, in other words, like, like somebody, someone tried to cut off his head to kill him with at a, seven weeks, with a knife or like um, a rope or something. No, no, it was a knife. It was a very wow. clean cut. Oh. And the story was that this woman comes in with this poor baby puppy in a towel. She has like all her kids. She had like five kids with her. She goes, I don't know what to do with this dog. I don't know what to do with it. And there's blood all over the towel and it's just like, you know, bleeding out. Oh, God. They take it and they repair it and they sew the puppy up. But this doctor, he says, this vet, he says, no, you know, I'm not going to make a police report. And he goes, I'm not in this because he does a lot of free repairs for the animals. He goes, I'm not in it to get in the middle of you know, police reports and paperwork. He goes, I just want you to bring me the animals. I'll fix them and then you can take them. So that was kind of a sticky situation because obviously you don't want that to ever happen again. But at the same time, you don't want to lose that really great, 
you know, option for free care for these animals. So I took the puppy and I just couldn't believe it was just so disgusting. It was just stitches and he was like pussing all the time. I was like, I don't even know what to do with you, you poor thing. He could barely walk. So, you know, I'd syringe him with water and he could eat, but he kind of just had to hold him. You know, he was just not doing well. So then like two weeks later, unbelievable, like he healed up in two weeks. I just can't believe it. If you would have seen that gash, you wouldn't believe me. But he just, two weeks, that's all it took. And it just sealed up. You know, he's a young puppy, so that really helps. And he was, you know, on antibiotics and he had really good quality food. And just the whole team worked together to get this puppy to be okay. But I was so blessed to be able to be the actual caretaker. I take him to the gym with me and everybody just fell in love with him because he was so gentle. But I realized he was only gentle and kind and slow because he was on drugs. (laughs) So when he wasn't on drugs anymore, (laughs) this dog is so hyper, but it's okay because I got some great energy to match up with him. So, I mean, we're running around, wrestling, and he's like, he's incredible. Wait, so is he now your dog? Oh, yeah. It's called a foster fail. (laughs) (laughs) Jason knows that very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's mine. What's his name? Kayle. Um, It's Hawaiian for redeemed. Oh, once again, you have to make the names worth Powerful. something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of reminds me of when Jason, his foster fail was Figaro, his cat. Well, right? I've had a lot of foster fails. <laughs> I mean, Well, but he was like out of the current five you have. True. Your foster fail because all of them you were intentional about keeping. That's true. Except for the times you wanted to return them. That's true. But yeah, you have that moment. You. <laughs> Can I take you back to the store? Oh, there is no. There is no store to take you back to. Okay, you'll stay. You'll stay. Well, but Figaro was the one that you didn't think. I, we actually did it. They talked about this in one of the episodes. Maybe it was your backstory yeah, it was. intro. Yeah, we don't need but, to So we don't need it. to tell the entire story. But the, the short one for anyone who hasn't listened to that episode yet is that we found Figaro at this house or this apartment Jason was looking at. And basically, we found out that if we didn't take the cat... He was just going to be taken to the shelter and or animal control was going to be called. So Jason kind of instinctually thought this cat's not going to live if I don't take it. So he took the cat home. And on the way back, we were very intentional about giving him a name. And he actually like meowed for the very first time when we said his name out loud. And that's how we knew it was his name. That's how you know. And it just... It just was his name, you know, mm-hmm. like, and it kind of gave some more power. And another time I experienced that was when, um, so my parents' dog had puppies and I took one of them, which is my dog, Evie. And Evie's brother, biological brother, he was very sick. He wasn't able to nurse for some reason or another. And, he, and my parents were out of town. My sister was all by herself caring for these puppies. There was three of them. And she's like, called me up and she said, I don't think this puppy is going to make it. He's not eating. He, I think the, the mother doesn't want him or something. And so she had to start bottle feeding it. And she was really scared. She didn't know what to do. My parents weren't around. And I said, if you just give him a name, it's going to give him much more likely chance of living. I don't even know what made me say that. It was like some, I don't know, like looking back on it, I'm like, how did I even know to say that to her? You know, over 10 years ago, I just wasn't as conscious as I am today. 
But I remember feeling just so compelled. You have to give this dog a name. And we picked some random name that she didn't like. And I was like, just keep that name for now until he recovers. And because he had that name, it it made her feel more attached to him and made her feel like he belonged and, and he had value. It was like there was some so much power in that name. Never name your process. food. <laughs> That's the way they say that. Never name your food. Meaning like... Like people that collect farm animals. Yes. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Because there's that connection there. But can you name your broccoli or no? Well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Is it okay to name broccoli Greeny? or tofu or Beyond Burgers? Like, no? Okay. He's Joe. He's my pet broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. I bet you if you... I mean, if you, if I was growing like a basil plant and I gave the basil plant a name, I probably wouldn't want to eat it. Yep. I agree. Mm, this is fascinating. It is really fascinating. It's, it's to a degree anthropomorphizing something, giving it a personality, a beingness, and relating to that beingness through language, the power of this language. And the thing that I'm curious about, right, is is all of these beautiful stories of healing and being faced with situations that can be really, really painful. You know, I mean, the, the, whether it's animal abuse or in the case of, of Figaro, who I adopted, you know, he was, he was literally thrown out of his house by his family and left on the streets. Abandoned. You know? it's, it's a curious thing of, and, I, and this is something that I, I struggle with it, in particular with the climate change that we're facing and the wildfires in Australia and a lot of the just natural disasters and the loss of life that's happening in addition to factory farming and all the other things, wars. I mean, I don't need to go down the laundry list. And there are moments where I find it challenging to keep my faith in humanity. And I'm wondering, as both of you ladies are very self-aware and working on yourselves and both have huge hearts, you know, what do you do when you, and I don't know if you feel this way, but maybe overwhelmed by the insurmountable amount of suffering, self-generated suffering on this planet and seeing what people do, whether it's trying to, you know, kill a puppy or there's a million examples, but what do we do when we lose faith in humanity or maybe feel our hearts closing down or like, why should I even do good in the world? What's the point? And I feel that way sometimes. It's like, what's, what's the point of even doing good? Look at all the suffering. Look at all the pain. Like I, I struggle with that sometimes. Well, one of the tricks I love is I try not to remove the humanity from the person. So they're reading people's pain points is one of my, I guess you would say specialty. I don't know. That's right. I'm pretty good at. So depending on their pain point, I can kind of tell what their trigger is. And then, you know, depending on how much time you're willing to give to that person, you can really find out why they are the way they are. Mm -hmm. And they're just hurting souls. And they react to a certain trauma that happened back in the day, however old they were. And you just, what it comes down to is you just have to give grace. No matter how much pain it triggers within yourself, you have to give grace to those people, which also comes in line with the love tank talk, because you are limited, I believe, on how much grace you can give people. But if you're, you know, working well with your love tank and you're monitoring it well, you should have enough grace to give to the masses. And we, you know, being coaches, we get a lot of pain from people and we absorb it and we have to find ways to not take it 
or maybe take it and find ways to get rid of it after. And that's kind of what I do. So I take their pain. You know, you get that tingly feeling inside. Like when I was telling you my stories, you get that feeling like, oh, that hurts. Like it hurts all the way inside your body. But then you just release it. And that was probably because I told you it was a happy ending. Mm -hmm. But what if those people don't give you a happy ending? How are you going to get rid of it? You know, you have to. That's well, you're talking about empathy now. You're talking about deep empathy. When you you hear a story or you are internalizing someone's experience and you feel it in your own body. Yeah. So then the question is, how do you release it if there's not a, I mean, I'm like, how does one release it? The closure is, my personal opinion is that you have to understand that someone hurt them, hurting people hurt people. So you wouldn't be upset with a five-year-old if they hurt you. You're like, that's a five-year-old. They didn't mean to. But they're still in their five-year-old stage when that trauma mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So, right. Yeah. There's um this movie on Netflix that I've been nervous to talk to Jason about because I feel like emotionally, Jason, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a ser- It's like a mini series called don't f with cats i have no knowledge of this i kind of want you to stay in no knowledge because it's incredibly disturbing and it's it's about a situation with like a person that had harmed some cats and publicly documented it and it's this yeah it's it's absolutely crazy but it's also like a really phenomenal documentary. So have you heard of it? Lately? Yeah, I've seen it. I'm, oh, you saw I'm it? Gonna, no, I haven't seen it. I've seen it advertised, so I'm going to have to watch that. Well, our friend, our mutual friend for the three of us, Allison, who runs the Food Heals podcast, told me about it. And I said, all right, Allison, I'm really interested in this, but I don't know if I can watch it because of the content. She said it's incredibly hard to watch, but only at certain points. And there's it's a really great story. So I won't give any spoilers to anyone who hasn't seen it yet, including Jason. But let me just say there are parts of this that are so incredibly talk about this idea of like, I don't like to use the word losing faith in humanity, but there are moments where you you just think, I can't believe things like this go on in the world. And if this is something that has happened once, it's happened a lot of times and it's probably happening. I mean, there's so many disturbing things that we don't even know about that are happening to human beings and animals. But the interesting thing about this documentary is it's the mostly about the investigation. I will say this. It's a, an investigation story. It's about finding out something really bad that happened and then a bunch of people trying to figure out who this person is, where they are and how they can stop it. So it's it's actually in a way makes you feel good about humanity from that end. It's like there's two sides of it. You can see the person that's committing these horrific acts that I don't know if someone like Jason could actually make it through a a documentary like this. It's just like beyond all comprehension for animal lovers. But on the other side, there's part of you that's like, I really want to know the reality of these things. So maybe I can get involved with with helping. And ultimately, it is also a story about why does somebody get to that point where they're willing to commit these horrific crimes? What makes a person that way? And there's also the the popular docu-series on Netflix called Making a Murderer. And I think the whole point of that series is like, who did it, but also why did they do it? And how did they get to this point? And are they the one to blame? And it's, these shows are very interesting because they get into the psychology, but at the same time, we don't get a lot of answers because we are so complicated as human beings. And there are just so many factors. And sometimes we, we 
literally can't relate to somebody. We have no ability to understand why they would make that decision because we ourselves don't think that we would ever make that decision. So it is tough in those times to have compassion, but I think it's so important to your point, Letha, of we need to just try to have compassion for people even if we can't understand them because that's part of our humanity. If you need closure, which is usually how we get over things, if you need closure, you just have to tell yourself, fill in the gaps with grace. That's a little cheat. Fill in the gaps with grace. Cover them with grace sauce. What does that mean, cover them with grace? How do you do that? I would say, like she said, compassion kind of stems from grace. It's more of a feeling, I guess you could say, that returns to you content. I'm content with being okay with this situation because it's out of your control. Ultimately, right? We can't control people. We usually can't stop something before it's happening if we don't know it's happening. Yep. So the only thing we can do is counteract it with like the investigators. That was the counteraction Mm -hmm. move, right? And I think you're doing everything you can to counteract people's cruel actions. You're a coach of well-being and so are you. And You have a podcast that's teaching people about amazing things and you do outreaches, right? We're going to go help homeless people. That's right. Okay. So I think, right, we just got to remind ourselves we are what's making this world a better place. Not so much why the world is not a good place, but it's just a matter of reminding yourself of that. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a tricky part too. (laughs) Maybe that's it. Maybe it's action that is motivated by a genuine desire to give life and give love is the antidote to despair. That's right. And I think this was such a wonderful reminder to me of being such an empathetic person as I am. I get mired in despair very quickly because I feel so much. But to the point of taking an action that is motivated by love and the desire just to give support and give compassion and whether it's feeding someone or uplifting them or just holding space or rescuing an animal or all all the things that we all do. And perhaps even the listener, some things that you do that you might even take for granted for yourself that you're contributing to the world. It's feeding a collective shift into a consciousness of love and away from lack and away from pain and away from, it's almost like there was, there's this billboard that's um, been going around LA It's been up and it's been going for about three years now in Los Angeles that says, none of us are well until all of us are well. And it was this idea of, yes, we have these individual personalities and egos, and but we're also part, I believe, of a collective body of consciousness. And that I think is probably where empathy comes from. If I had to think about it, whether that's God consciousness, an oversoul, a unified field theory, there's so many names for it, but Whatever it is to you and your belief system, I, I, I guess it kind of in closing as we wrap this up, my resonance is that remembering that all of our actions are compounding and feeding something. Mm. And even these small actions, right, that might seem so in- insignificant to us, whether it's adopting and rehabbing a puppy or bringing two beautiful children, raising them as strong, beautiful, loving women, like these things that we might, the daily stuff we take for granted. We're even going to the to workout class, as, yeah. as you were saying at the mm-hmm. very beginning, is that a lot of times we forget the compounding effect of, of consistent actions, of which is really funny because Jason and I teach this in one of our programs called the Consistency Code. We talk about, and, and we did today in the coaching session we were doing about how 
we need to focus less on perfection and more on consistency. Because sometimes, you know, you go to a workout class and and you're only able to do 10 lifts of a certain weight, or maybe you only are, you're lifting a weight that doesn't feel strong enough for you. But if you were to continue to lift that weight over and over again, eventually you could go to the next size and your muscles are growing. But I think we often are looking for instant results or instant proof of progress, right? But sometimes progress takes a while and sometimes we're not noticing the changes that are happening. And a lot of the times we don't notice that changes are happening because we're not keeping track of where we Mm -hmm. started. So one of my biggest tips is to remind myself and other people that we, we really benefit by journaling and daily gratitude and looking back, reflecting on, on who we are and, and how far we've come. And the same thing goes with, with this idea around compassion. It's like we can focus on all the horrible things going on, but we can also focus on the amazing things. We can focus on things that didn't go well or don't have a good ending, or we can focus on the happy ending. I think that's part of the reason people love TV shows and movies or or songs or like anything that points to a happy ending. It's like we need that sometimes. We need the escape because life doesn't always feel that way. You know, that puppy that that you were able to rescue, like who knows how many dogs didn't have that fortunate life, right? And we just, I think it's so easy and tempting sometimes to dwell in the sadness or dwell in the, you know, these horrific stories. And it's also important not to turn our eyes to to them away from them too. I think right now we're in America and then on the other side of the world, Australia is literally burning and we can feel so helpless or we could also just give up and say, I can't do anything. But back to your point, Letha is like, we can make little actions. We can contribute in some way. And if it doesn't feel big enough, we have to remind ourselves that if everybody is taking small actions, it does become big enough because of the the movement that happens. So I think that's why community is so powerful and coming together and and getting support from one another and, and creating momentum as a group is so key. That's why we have these conversations mm-hmm. too, you know, just being able to sit down and talk to people or listen to people talk and get different perspectives on life and be reminded of these things. One thing that I think, uh, Letha, I just really love about you is you are clearly very much an embodied woman who is leading with love and giving so much care and support to this world. (laughs) And your child, your inner child is very much alive. Mm -hmm. Like the moment that we connected, I was like, oh, her inner child is alive. You know, just how... The kinship of like, you know, the bright, beautiful clothes you wear and like, Jason I think I really want to talk about your clothes. Yeah, yeah, no, I, no, I, did, I did because like on before her, on her, you got here, I was like, what are we going to talk about no, today? Her, like, we every talk time about I clothes? see Letha, I'm like, I love her fashion because it's like Aww. there's a brightness and a vibrance and like your just your natural inner child, you whether consciously or unconsciously, you just you've kept her alive. You know, it's I think I commented on one of your Instagram stories a couple weeks ago. You started the day with like a Mickey Mouse shirt and then you were in a Wolverine shirt. And I was like, she went from Mickey Mouse to Wolverine in the same damn day. And you were just like, to me, I'm just, I'm just so fascinated by people who choose to keep that childlike spirit alive. And is that something that you are conscious of Mm. to maintain and let live? It was definitely dormant for a long time. And um, 
I decided this is for another podcast because this is a long story. But I had a personal trauma when I was six years old. And I call this my cave of sorrows, a chapter in my book that I'm writing. And all the in between, I felt really dark. I wore really baggy clothes. I tried to hide everything about me. And then, you know, I talked to God for a long time and I said, God, I really need to heal over this trauma. Enlighten me. And once I was healed from this particular trauma, I felt like I vibrated so high and I was just like, oh my gosh, I have to wear happy clothes. I have to like eat happy food. And everything was just so happy. And there was genuine joy also. And I matched up to how I felt basically. And that was wearing cartoons and, you know, whatever the heck I wanted to wear. <laughs> it's amazing. No, it's, I have so much admiration for but Jason, you. you dress like that too. You, you have do. Look at that. a Frank shirt. Right now you're wearing a jacket full of buttons. No, that's, but it's. You wear all sorts of crazy outfits, that's, Jason. That, no, that's, that's the resonance is what I'm saying. Is like when we met and every time I see I'm like, we, we come from the same cloth. Come, uh, of the sense that, that in a world that can feel so, I don't know, heavy with responsibility at times to let our inner child that curious, playful, experimental, joyful part of our psyche live and breathe, I think is just so vital to live a life that is contented. And I just wanted to acknowledge you and also Thank point you. out how vibrant you are in that sense. Thank you. It's I really, appreciate it's, that. It's really awesome. Like you walk in the room, it's like, leave us here. Oh, leave us here. That loud. You have a theme song now. Yay. You're welcome. <laughs> Can you wrap up this episode by continuing that song a little bit longer? Um Oh my and, goodness. Well, you could talk about the show notes because we need to. Can you wrap the, the show notes? I can wrap. Wrap. Yo, yo, yo. Yo, if you want them show notes, <laughs> it's better than doing yoga with goats. <laughs> Maybe not. I've always wanted to do goat yoga, but that's on the bucket list for 2020. Goat yoga. So for all of the resources. No, keep singing. Oh, wait, what? Oh, I'm, oh still. Uh, I, I wanted you to sing a song about the show, show notes. <sighs> Come on. Wicked, wicked. Oh, <laughs> For all the show notes and resources here, go to your computer if it's right near W E L L E V A T R. Dot com. Because it's the bomb. <laughs> he don't quit his day job. Says his mom. I'm not, I'm not, ra I tried rapping once on stage and it was pretty good. I rapped about chakras one time oh, and it's on my Instagram. I am too spiritual for my chakras. You better roll your fucking eyes now. I am too spiritual for my chakras, especially the orange one now. I am too spiritual for my chakras. <laughs> but don't forget that part of. Oh, what you want, girl? Yeah. Chamomile tea? I know you do, baby. Come on, get with me. <laughs> Because that's every woman wants chamomile tea by the fireplace getting her feet rubbed by coconut oil. I know. Oh, wow. Maybe not everyone. I don't know. Anyway. We have to link uh, to that story Scott in Almighty. the show notes at wellevator.com. Infamy. So you can watch this video of Jason singing. It's really good. I think in closing, I would like to say that part of living a joyful life is being willing to make an ass of yourself and not caring what other people think. Because sometimes I will just say things that things fly out of my mouth and I'll see people's reactions and I'm like, yeah, I said the thing. I know. I'm nuts. And I own it. <laughs> I own it, Joan. So, yeah, just being unfiltered and saying what's on your mind and your heart and not caring what people think I think is a key to living a joyful life. That's true. Also in the show notes, we will link to Letha. So if you want to check out her amazing fitness studio, is that the right I have term? a boot camp on site and I have a Patreon, too. Oh, excellent. Ooh. And what do you do in your Patreon? Oh, man. I just like 
put all kinds of plant-based recipes and workouts and videos and motivational quotes. And it is so much fun. Amazing. Yeah. That sounds That's like great. all the good things of life. It's all yeah. the good things. Well, we'll link to all of that at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. Just look for the podcast section, find this episode. Should also be in the notes of this episode if you look on your podcast player, but we'll make sure that you find it. And if you can't find it, you can always email us at hello at wellevator.com or just find us on Instagram or Facebook, direct message. We're here for you. We're so grateful that you listened. We, we'd love to hear from you, by the way. You can let us know how you thought about this episode at wellevator.com in the comments section, or you can leave a review on iTunes. You can give us a shout out on social media or again, send us a message, whatever form works for you. We would absolutely love to hear from you and yeah. we'll be here for another episode coming soon. Thanks, Lethal Weapon. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Has anyone ever called you that before? Oh my gosh. People call you that so many times, time. especially as a trainer. Okay. Killer nickname. It is. Killer. That's really good. That should be your, your social media handle. Lethal Weapon, what, what? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to Wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.